Well, last week we started a series on restoration. And uh, we are reading Joel chapter 2, verse 25 as our main text. It reads as follows. I will restore to you the years that the locust has eaten, the canker worm and the caterpillar and the palmer worm, my great army which I sent among you. That is Joel chapter 2, verse 25. And we said that the Old Testament definition of restoration, it carries with it the following connotations. It means to be completed, to finish, to make prosper, to recompense, to rescue, to refresh, to set again, to retrieve, to cause to renew. So restoration in the Bible talks about the putting back into place and into existence and into use that which has been not stolen or misplaced. So when we've been gone through a time of difficulty, God will restore. Look at your neighbor who's not saying amen and say God will restore. Even if it's Sarah, amen. And so Chichiriza, so God will restore. Just look at them and say God will restore. So even if Bazarana, we have been through a time of difficulty, God will restore. Can I hear an amen? amen? All right. In the New Testament, the word restoration is used of the various miracles that we read about. We read about the miracles that Jesus performed, the man with the withered hand, the blind man of Bethsaida, and we are going to talk about today the man at the pool of Bethesda. We do know that in the Old Testament there are many pictures of restoration. Sarai and her husband Abraham, that God blessed with a child, that even when they didn't have a child, God restored to them. We read about Job who went through a difficult time and a difficult season. And after that loss in his life, God restored. Look at your neighbor and say, God will restore. Even if it you so, tell them, even if it you so, God will restore. We also read about the valley of dry bones, where the bones came to life. Amen. I can say some of you while a melody, but whatever the reasons, but the bones did come to life. And they do come to life because God is a God of restoration. Can I hear an amen? Can I hear a good amen? So God is a God of restoration. No matter what you go through, even with your club, God will restore. Amen, Mazalon. God is a God of restoration. But today I want to show you something about this restoration. Because the story of the man at Bethesda speaks to us about a moment of restoration that God brings in our lives and so many people miss these moments. My prayer for you today is that you will listen so well in the sermon and that when you leave this place, you will really be aware of the opportunities that God brings our way to bring restoration in our lives. So let's read, Bazalana, the, uh, the, the story of the man of Bethesda that is in John chapter 5. And I'm reading the New American Standard Bible from verse 1 to verse 10. John chapter 5 from verse 1. It says, After these things there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there in Jerusalem by the ship gate there was a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having filed porches. In these lay multitude of those who were sick, blind, lame, 
and withered. So you see these people are in a state of difficulty. All right? It says they were waiting. Somebody say waiting. They were waiting for the moving of the waters. For the angel of the Lord came down at a certain season. Underline that. At a certain season. At a certain season. Into the pool and stirred up the water. Now watch. Whoever then first, after the stirring up of the water, first stepped into the water, he must, who was made well from whatever disease which, what he had afflict, which he had been afflicted with. So in other words, after God has moved, after God has opened the opportunity, whoever was first, somebody say first. Tell your neighbor, I want to be first. Whoever was first who stepped in was made whole. When Jesus saw, or verse 5, sorry, there was a man there who had been ill for 38 years. Now, we don't know how old this man was. What we know is for 38 years, he has been ill. I want you to see the power of this. 38 years, he has been ill. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there for a long time in that condition, he said to him, do you want to get well? That's a simple answer. Either a yes or a no. All right? This answer doesn't involve too many things. Either or. The sick man answered, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool. When the water is stirred up, but while I'm coming, another steps down before me. That's not the question. That's not the question. But why is he, why is he answering this way? I'm going to show you in a short while. Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your bed and walk. Immediately the man became well, picked up his bed and began to walk. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Can I hear an amen? It's very interesting that this place where this man was is called the pool of Bethesda. The name Bethesda means the house of grace. Bethesda, in short, it's a house of grace, a house of mercy, or a house where the oil of God is flowing. There comes times and seasons in our lives where God wants to manifest his grace. He wants to manifest his mercy because when he looks at us, we have been in this condition for a long time. Whatever condition you are in, whatever condition you, your family is in, there comes a season when the angel of the Lord comes down or God comes down and he offers you an opportunity and he asks you the question, do you want to be made whole? And so this man is there and this was a place of the supernatural moving of God upon the human body. That season, Barcelona, can come anytime. It can come when you are in a service like this one. It can come when you are praying at home. It can come when you are reading the word where God wants to turn things around in your life and bring you into a different season. And note what it says. It is a particular season. It is a particular moment sovereignly chosen by God. And if you respond to this opportunity timelessly, if you are first to respond, then your life is changes forever. And the Bible says, when Jesus saw this man, he knew that this man had been there for a long time. Funny enough, even if Jesus knew how this man had been there, how long he had been there, and his condition, he doesn't just sovereignly heal him. Which is what most people are doing. They are waiting on God to do something. 
They are wondering why is God, even when he's aware of this, why doesn't he intervene? But God is asking you the question. He asked the man the question. He can see that the man has been here and the Bible already tells us he knew it was 38 years. But Jesus still asked the question, what do you want me to do for you? In other words, he is challenging this man to step up and hold on to his opportunity. He is challenging this man. Let me bring a word that we used to talk about earlier this year. He is challenging this man to hold on to his regal moment. So Jesus asks him a question. Do you want to be made whole? That's the question that God is asking you today. Do you want things to turn around in your life? Do you want things to turn around in your family? I can hear you. Do you want things to turn around where you are at work? Instead of this man entering into this open door, answering just one word, yes or no. Instead of this man leveraging this moment of opportunity, this regular moment, he, un- he answers as a man who doesn't see the opportunity. He doesn't see the regular moment. This man doesn't know that Ezra 9 verse 8 tells us, and now for a little space, grace has been shown to us from the Lord our God. And that word space is the word rega. It is a short space of time. It's an instant. It's a moment. It's a space. It's a suddenly. You see, sisters and brothers, it doesn't take long for God to turn your life around. God just needs a little moment. It doesn't take forever for God to turn around the tragedy of 38 years because our God is more than able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think. God is looking for somebody who will respond in the right way. Rega moment is the time when a window of opportunity from God presents itself and if you fail to leverage it, you miss your moment. In fact, the NIV says in that verse, it says that small space, it says it's a brief moment. It's the wink of an eye. It's a very short space. It's an instant. It's a moment. It's a suddenly. It is the same word that is used in the Bible, kairos. And the Bible says in John chapter 5, it says, and the angel came at a certain season is the word kairos. So it becomes a moment engineered by God where he suddenly begins to move and suddenly begins to try and move you to another place. And if you respond, timelessly. And this is what I tell people. When God is beginning to talk to you about your life, don't ask your neighbor, don't ask your friend. Tell your neighbor. Yeah. When you sense the Spirit moving on you, when you sense God moving on your life, pushing you to another direction, don't ask the other person sitting next to you. They may not be in the same space at all. Look at anybody and say, neighbor, I love you, Mara. You are not in the same space, you know. You know, you know, you know, you know. You see, the regular moment is an open window. It's a time that has an entrance and it has an exit. Ezra tells us that God works in these regular moments where he shows us grace. Bethesda, a place of grace, a place of mercy. And God gives us, Ezra says, a reviving. This is where God renews, God revives, turns away your sorrow, turns away your loss. Therefore, we must take advantage of these moments. But what is it that caused this man not to see this moment? 
Number one, the Bible tells us that this man had been there for a long time. See, if you've been in a certain condition for a long time, you are get accustomed to that condition and you accept it as your condition. You accept hurry, go higher. Nobody go higher. Ever keeps a job for more than two months. Because this has been going on for a long time. This man has made peace with it. He, he's come to a point where, you know, a psychologist call it learned helplessness. A person learns to be helpless. This is when people feel helpless to avoid negative situations because of their, their previous experiences has shown them that they don't have control. So when you see things coming, you already conclude the outcome. You already yield to what's coming without putting up any resistance. It's called land helplessness. So this man, being in this condition for a long time, this is why, Basalana, we truly have to put up a fight of faith to get out of the vicious cycle of negativity in our families. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. If you really want to see things change in your life and in your family, it's not going to just happen. You have to put up a big fight. Because if there are certain things that seem to characterize your life, your family, or you've had so many disappointments and certain things have followed a certain pattern in your life, you get to a point where you even expect it to happen. Look at them and say, even if it's a man, Bishop, you're not one need. Learned helplessness. The second thing is what psychologists call analysis paralysis. In other words, this man says to Jesus, after the angel has stirred the water, when I come up, other people overtake me. So you are so used to other people, but Joshua before coming, but overtake. You are so used to being approached. Just before Lenyala, wako damp. Oh, am I, I think there's somebody this side. Oh, nkulu nkulu wame. Umosa wako. Kulenda wo. Baba. Hololoya. Yeah, that, right there, right, right there, right there, right there. <laughs> yeah. So what analysis paralysis does is you get to a point where you overthink something. And because you are expecting to fail, you never even try. So you end up not doing it because you've already defeated yourself even before you start. You make the decision so overcomplicated. And you fill it with so many details of trying not to fail that you finally never make the choice to do anything. You know, this is why sometimes I tell people, you know, we can be so great at generating feasibility studies. This thick that we never move. I'm being honest with you. I've been in many, many meetings, many places where I've been that you can so overanalyze everything that you'll never move. Think about it, Bazaran. If David had overanalyzed the situation of Goliath, I mean, let's let's put on pound for pound, hmm? pound for fine, Murut. 
Hmm? Let's analyze. I'm finished. Pound for pound for it. If we, if we were to analyze Brute today, pound for pound. I mean, David is not a warrior, not a man of war, much smaller than Goliath. Hmm? Right? Doesn't have the armor. Guy is experienced, has killed many people. But what moved David is faith in his heart. Even the king said to him, are you sure? Put his armor on him. David, that's a Let me use what I've already used. Yeah. So we get to a point, Bazalana, where it becomes a problem. We analyze until we are paralyzed. Because you are seeking an optimal, perfect situation. I'm not saying we mustn't think about the consequences. I'm not saying we mustn't analyze and just jump blindly. But you can get to a point where you overanalyze. Imagine when Peter was in the boat and Jesus said, come walking out of the boat, come walk on the water. Imagine if Jesus had told the people at Cana of Galilee to fill their water pots with wine and take out the water and go serve it to the governor of the feast. Imagine if they had said, how, why? There are certain things when God tells you to do it, like the mother of Jesus says, whatever he says, do it. And not you. Yeah. Sometimes you can overanalyze. And thirdly, this man, he says to Jesus, whilst others are coming, they overtake me and I have no man. Thirdly, dependency on other people. Unfortunately, sometimes we think that our destiny is locked in to other people so much that if they don't do what they should do, we will never get there. You know, over the years, I've gone through so many things as a minister. People come and go and live and all kinds of things. And in the early days, I used to think when people leave, the mission is frustrated. But I found out sometimes that sometimes people leave because they were supposed to be in your life for a season. And it has helped me to understand that if you suffer loss, it doesn't mean the mission will not be achieved. Obviously, none of us, we want to lose people or people walk away from us. We don't want that. Sometimes, of course, we may contribute to it. But most times, the silver cup is broken. Thank God. Thank God. One about to, oh Jesus, help this young man. <laughs> Hallelujah. But you see, we somehow have a thing to think if other people don't help us. Think about blind Bartimaeus. In Mark chapter 10, when he heard that Jesus was passing by the road, 
And because of what he had heard about Jesus, because of faith in his heart, because his, his, his regular moment was there, because the angel was stirring up the waters. He had been blind for a long time. He realizes, God, I'm having this encounter. God wants to move things. God wants to change things. So he is asking, who's passing by? Baruchesu. I've heard about this Jesus. Take me to this Jesus because this is my moment. If I don't take advantage of it now. What do the people do? They do what they've always done to you. But I can't. But what will he do? He's blind. He can't see. But he realizes even if I can't see, I still have a voice. Ah, even if there are certain things you can't do, there are certain things that you can do. What does he do? He raises his voice. Jesus! Help Jesus! And Jesus stopped and said, somebody want pizza. And this hypocrite, but like we never ask Kokosak. Ah, smile, man. Uche so yak pizza. Sukchelele gutisinawela. Blind Bartimaeus got to a point where he said, I'm, going to wait. I'm not going to wait on people. I'm going to grab my Bethesda. How many of you are going to grab your moment of mercy, your moment of grace? Can I hear a shout and an amen? When God begins to move on your life, I've realized you can't help people to be spiritual on their behalf. You can't help people to love God as much as you love you. If you have intensity, don't let them slow you down. If you want to do the things of God, don't let them slow you down. You move out, blind Bartimaeus. You grab on to God. But the man at the pool of Bethesda says, I don't have any man. He's locked in a cycle of entrenched practice. He keeps on going in circles, doing the same thing, yet expecting the same results like some of you. What you've been doing so far is not taking you anywhere. And it's a tragedy that you expect different things now. But you see, Jesus is not going to buy his story. He throws the responsibility back at the man. Because he says, I can see you are giving me land helplessness. I can see you are giving me analysis paralysis. I can see you are telling me other people are not helping you. I'm going to throw it back at you. You take up your bed and you begin to walk up. The moment of God has come. You... And Jesus instructs him to do three things. He says, arise. (laughs) Take up your bed. And walk. Jesus says to him, it means he's not talking about other people. He's talking to him. God is talking to you. God is asking you, are you desperate enough? God is asking you, do you want to see things change? Do you want to experience your Bethesda? God is asking you, your moment of, of, of reality has come. Your moment of newness and freshness and restoration has come. And God says rise. The word rise means get up. 
It carries with it the idea of collecting your faculties. It means wake up, vulgar. It means rouse, literally from sleep. Rise from sitting or lying down from disease or death. This word figuratively means to rise from obscurity, to rise from inactivity, to rise from non-existence. It's about time you begin to believe God for yourself instead of depending on others. It's about time you took God at his word instead of depending on others. It's about time you prayed your prayers. It's about time you made your confession. It's about time you reached out to God for yourself. Arise! Arise. Arise. Stand up. Take up. In Ephesians 5 it says, wherefore he says, arise you who sleep that Christ may give you light. Number two, he says, take up your bed. In other words, the very thing that is a symbol of your take captivity, face it. He says, don't run away from your family situation. Face it. Arise, face the situation. Face the fact that you are dealing with those things. Don't run away from that. Face it in the name of Jesus and say, I am coming to you in the name of Jesus. Do what David did when he was running towards Goliath. He said to him, you are coming to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield, but I am coming to you in the name of the Lord of hosts that you have defied. And he begins to run at him. Don't run away from your problem run to them in the name of Jesus arise take up your bed and then he said walk in other words get moving get moving here's what's interesting Jesus tells this man to walk on the Sabbath day it was not right for people to walk on the Sabbath day so Jesus is saying Don't allow established tradition to bind you. Jesus is saying, don't allow established resistant forces to bind you. Take advantage of the nature spirit, of the regular moment. God is saying, nature, the spirit of expectation. Take initiative when God presents his word to you. Refuse to play the blame game. Push yourself to respond correctly to the moment of opportunity and experience restoration and get your Bethesda in the name of Jesus. And that's what God wants you to do. When you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Take that moment and apply it in your life. And 38 years of misery can be turned like that in one day. Come on, somebody give the Lord a praise in the house. Hallelujah. Some of you watching, you are looking at your life, melting, disintegrating, right in front of you. Things moving from bad to worse, like a good strain out of control, and you don't know what to do. You don't have to be a victim. You can stand as a victorious person. You can call upon him, the Lord Jesus Christ. You can call upon him the ancient of days. You can call upon him the Lord who was, who is, and he is to come. You can call upon him the author and the finisher of your faith. You can call upon him the miracle worker. You can call upon him and say, Lord, I bring my life to you. I bring my life to you. I want to invite you today to say, Jesus, will you come into my heart? Would you be the savior 
and the Lord of my life? Would you change me and make me a child of God? Would you do things different in my life? You want to accept Jesus right where you are? Join us in this prayer and even in this auditorium, even in the other places, in the cathedrals and the churches, those watching on YouTube, Facebook, and those who are streaming on our website. You want to accept Jesus in your life? You want to stop this good strain from getting out of control? Join me in this prayer as you receive Jesus. Pray it out loud, everybody with me. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I come to you just as I am. I invite Jesus Christ to come into my heart to be the Savior and the Lord of my life. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Thank you for coming into my heart and for making me a child of God. From today, my life is changed. I am different in Jesus' name. Give the Lord a big hand of praise if you believe that. Hallelujah. I want us all to stand on our feet as I pray for everybody. And those of you who are watching, I want us to make a confession today. I want us to make a confession today. We're not going to live our lives as victims anymore. We're not going to sit by the pool of Bethesda and watch when other people are being healed and we are not jumping in. Somebody say, I am jumping in. Tell your neighbor, neighbor, I am jumping in. Tell your neighbor, neighbor, I'm not going to have analysis paralysis. I'm not going to play the blame game. I'm not going to be helpless. I'm going to take advantage of what God is doing in my life. I'm going to respond to the moment of opportunity. When God speaks, I will respond to him. Raise your hands as we pray. Father, I thank you for your blessing that unlocks your children from a cycle of defeat. A cycle of repeated things. I rebuke things that have been going on in families. Things that have bound family members. In the name of Jesus, I release you by the power of God to be the one who will rise up above everything that has been in your family. I pray that you change generational curses. I pray that you change patterns in homes and families. I pray that you change patterns in this your child's life. I pray that you transform them and you change them in the name of Jesus. I release the power of God for a new season, for a new day, as the power of God is being released, as they walk into their Bethesda. Let your anointing and let your power rest upon them. The Lord bless you. The Lord make his face shine towards you. The Lord give you peace. The Lord fill you to overflowing in the name of the Lord Jesus. Raise your hands and begin to pray in the Holy Ghost everybody. And let God touch you right where you are in the name of Jesus. God bless you. God fill you and God anoint you in Jesus name. Thank you Lord Jesus. Thank you Lord Jesus.